0: Everyone, welcome to the Hardcast. Uh, we should go by number, or like date it by week, or do like some kind of like awkward news intro. Uh, instead, I think I'm just gonna fumble my way out of the gate. This week, I am your host and Sean Gregson, along with my co-host out there. Is he out there?
1: Yes, sir. I am
0: here. Robert Martin. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, bringing you everything in the week. Channel Fireball and things only slightly related to it. Uh, shoot
1: it off. Fire out of the can of the food. What we got? Okay, we'll begin again with another draft of blue-white and shows how making the quality picks can help you. He, The one thing I've noticed that he's done, and I've gotten this more from, more from the pros as they've been discussing it, is they haven't been tied to their first pick. Now granted, he did play blue with what yeah. his first pick was. But well,
0: I think uh, one key thing that uh, pretty much all the pros across the board have said is that, you know, uh, so many of the rares are, are, are bomb-y, splash in uh, the current draft format. So you kind of auto-pick a lot of those cards without thinking about archetypes or how they kind of um, m- meld into different deck types, I guess the same as archetypes. So I, I can definitely see um, stronger actors being able to identifying, identify and abandon early picks. Uh, It seems like a skill that's going to become more important with this
1: draft format. The one thing that I like about what he does instead of the video uh, podcast that you get for the drafts is that you're actually able to uh, evaluate the cards uh, at your own pace. Uh, Because with the drafting, you literally have to, you know, sometimes they can look through the cards real quick and they'll scan over them and then they'll make a pick. his case, you're able to actually sit there, analyze it, go through it, And then when he makes a comment about why he took it, you can actually formulate in your own head, well, maybe this might not have been a bad idea either.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, I love what Webb does. I really think that uh, his style is unique and something that really kind of sets itself apart from the the videos that we post. And, And again, like, you know, recording them myself, especially in the infancy of a format, you only got a minute on the first pick, you know, 30 seconds, a lot of picks and you're trying to use deductive reasoning, you're trying and then explain that reasoning, uh, talk about under what circumstances you'd want to take, what cards, and still take a card with all of them that, while the, the viewer or listener is uh, trying to play all that information, and then bam, another pack pops up. So um, it, I think it's a great combination because web is, is so analytical and so meticulous about everything, and at the same time, you get to to have all of his writing. However, I mean, it's, it's actually a great opportunity to, to, to say that he's actually going to start doing draft videos for the website. So you actually get to hear the Ocho on, on audio. Um, Luis said he's not sure how many he's going to do or if he'll be that interested in making it a series. But uh, out of the gate, Webb will be
1: doing draft videos re- very shortly. Well, that's good. Uh, Josh this week playing Blue White Cogo. Uh, at the Channel Fireball 5K and how it worked out, and his explanation of why he's not splashing other colors like other people are. Uh, His case, he had. He also talks about the fact that uh, Valakut or uh, Blue-Green Turboland might be effective versus Cobblade because it's weak to those decks. Uh, The one thing that I like that he did with his deck is he has Oust in there, Mhm. And also, he has uh Slayer Angel in there. So uh, Josh is playing just the
0: blue-white version. Yes. Not, not adding red to his deck.
1: No. Straight blue-white. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. It makes a lot of sense because we found it in kind of you know in the standard environment the way it is right now. You pretty much have to have creature removal. There aren't threatless decks as far as creatures go. Every deck is going to be playing creatures in one one form or another. Even the kind of the Tezzeret control lists out there have to run some guys, maybe some Forge Masters or or something, even just as roadblocks. So if you don't add a removal color to that Kago deck, you're going to have to play cards like Oust. You're going to have to uh, uh, get sweet tech like Twisted Image uh, into your deck. And um, uh, obviously Josh has taken the time and put together something that, for people interested in the dedicated blue-white version of the list, you definitely want to check that out. Um, Luis is not sold that you need to splash a third color in the deck as much as I, I think it's very important to do. Uh, obviously, you're going to have to use some kind of unorthodox routes, playing cards like Twisted Images, kind of removal spells, but uh, you do have that consistency, and your counter magic is going to be a lot more effective. Um, we Luis and I just talked today about you know the Tezzeret deck. Uh, Luis was very excited about it. But he's like, you know, it's so great against all these matchups, but all of a sudden you come up against those blue-white decks, especially the, the Cago blue-white only, and their counter countermagic is so much better than yours. It's something you don't think about in a lot of the other creature-based matchups. Um, and it really spoke to the quality of the just blue-white version, which seemed like a week for two weeks was kind of running behind the ones that splashed removal color because there's all these creature-heavy decks in a format. So as it slowly gets flushed out more, as things start to shift, um, you know, the, the just blue-white version may be something more resilient.
1: Uh, Adam this week uh, wrote about his article about his great run at the Star City Games Legacy of Beth in Edison, New Jersey uh, with his countertop deck and how it's well positioned, his sideboard versus the field. He played every card in his sideboard except uh, for the crypt uh, that removes a person's uh, graveyard from his sideboard, used every card in it and how effective it was to do it to show you how well designed his deck really was. So it is something that should really be considered to be played uh, in Legacy event, considering how well he did with it. And even he said he punted a match, so he could have technically done even better than he did.
0: Uh, legacy is is going to be really shortly, the, the format the pros are going to be looking to be playing. I mean, after uh, Dallas, I think the next domestic Grand Prix is Rhode Island. Um, there's a lot of buzz around whether or not Europeans are going to travel for that event because... Uh, you know Europeans, seemingly stereotypically as far as Magic goes, uh, like legacy format. Um, again, trying to defend ho- home soil for a lot of the American Channel Fireball players is going to be interesting. Uh, and I'm going to be very interested to see in the next six weeks kind of where legacy we'll testing goes and uh, more yeah.
1: emphasis on articles for that format. We also had this week um Andrew uh, discussing cards that are commonplace in most cubes and why they should be removed because it promotes a different type of cube experience. Uh, Speaking of the cube and how much we love your cube, and for those of you that will never, ever, possibly ever get an experience to deal with this cube, uh, your cube is absolutely amazing, and I only got to see a fraction of it.
0: It is. It's a whole lot of seemingly unnecessary... uh Uh Advertisement, but I'll I'll take it, yes. I spent a lot of time putting it together. Um, It is my my magic card collection, Pride and Joy. Uh, I really feel that in many ways it it saves my interest in the game in times that I may be waning in interest. uh, It also allows me to play a format, as it does for any cube enthusiast, that is, you know, it's not like standard where it's ever rotating. It's not like uh, the newest limited format where it's, sometimes difficult to just walk in one day and start playing. Uh, if you kind of have the, the the very basics of what the best of Magic Limited is like, you can sit down at most people's cubes and be able to pretty intuitively make your way through a draft. And, and obviously, it's to, to, well, obvious, obvious to me, it's it's got to be the most fun. I mean, I, I've always used examples of cards like Sylvan Library, where it's like, really, realistically, how many of you ever really drafted a format where that was a card? How many of you really like that card? And then how many of you have actually played it and constructed and you'll find that's a very small percentage of people playing magic today. So to be able to play a format where you get to showcase all those things is to me the most fun ever. but I, i'm I'm off topic. What, what are we talking about cube today?
1: i'm gonna he talks about cards that need to be in and out of your cube, and I'm gonna pull a couple of his quotes from there that I think are very significant for cubes. He goes, he's ruthless when it comes to cutting cards for his cube as he doesn't get attached to anything, and he aims to prioritize for the health of the format above anything else. A very good statement. Also, with the mocks and the signet cycles, it gives control an an avenue out of their phase one that's far too accessible. If you include both cycles in their entirety, there's 15 mana accelerators that provide mana fixing with no questions asked. And if you think about removing those from the cube, how more challenging it would be to actually play the colors you want to play within your cube because of those cards.
0: It, it is a very interesting argument. Uh, Andy and I, I'm not going to say rarely see eye to eye on the cube. Um, I think we we view it as two different entities, and I view it as more of I want to play with Magic's greatest hits as seemingly uh, as seemingly on the surface unbalanced as they are. Um, I think I think for people that cube a lot, and a lot regularly. Reading his articles and really kind of taking to heart what he says will mean a lot to you as far as the playability of your box goes in the long term, because he does take a lot of time to kind of create archetypes that are actual archetypes. I've played Control in in his uh, cube, and it's very different than playing Control in my own cube. Uh, Same thing with Aggressive. He he really kind of carves out strategies with cards around them, and it, it plays well. I, I think that's that's a that's a big merit. I personally kind of take the opposite feeling on my own. Um, granted, I didn't take the time to write an article about it, so it's it's hard to put my own interject my own thoughts to their fullness. I don't uh, take our podcast talk about it, but to me, like, when I think of magic and I think of the old power levels in magic, I still think of manifesting mana, fixing, mana fixing fast and mocks these things. And I think that playing cards to stop them, playing cards to counteract them, around them is so part of the game. And it's part of the game that's larger if you played major, or if you played Magic fifteen years ago. You know, Gorilla Shamans, Manic Vantles, Verdian Shamans, um you know, there's all these cards like I include in my cube that are gonna have more interactions with those fast because, to me, that's part of what you know, the bigger the magic is all about. And I understand, I understand opposite feelings that I understand about making an ag- aggro deck an aggro deck and making a control deck play more like a classic control deck. And if you circumvent these things, a lot of times you you cheat these that shouldn't be. Um, and for people interested in cube, I, I really think it's important that anyone that wants to take it seriously in owning one, building one, and playing with one a lot that you tap all these resources um, and, and really have a, a strong knowledge base about it if you're going to use it a lot. Because, again, you're building your own set, and it's important to make sure that it's playable. I've definitely played with cubes that have had a lot of sweet cards in them, a lot of powerful cards, but if there isn't some kind of like work t- to make it uh, cohesive, if there isn't a little bit of balance in the way it's constructed, then it just it doesn't play well. And uh, Andy takes a lot of time making his playable.
1: Well, speaking of a person that we just had on a Minimagic interview, who will be up later on this week.
0: There's a segue right there.
1: Who who are we
0: talking about? Matt Nass.
1: uh, He's trying to develop a great Bant deck against the uh, Caw Blade metagame. Uh, But uh, as I like to refer to it earlier, Judge Raptor reviewing his decks and explaining why his deck didn't work until he got a, yeah, it's ready to go. It was an interesting article in his case because he just goes through, his critiques are spot on, and how Matt lets the interaction between him and Raptor go, and that you can actually see it. So when Matt looks pushed... This, her, is, this is all in his written article? This isn't, this isn't no. fresh off the audio airwaves of your interview with I mean, Matt Nath. No, this is all in the article where he talks about, here's my deck, and then Raptor will say... I don't like this card and this card and this card. These are not these are not good for the deck. And you then, you,
0: you paint an awkward Emperor Darth Vader esque picture between the two of them. The, the way you uh, the way you put it out there, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. I, I could definitely picture Raptor in that role. Not but
1: actually, if you right <laughs> but if you but if you look at the way Raptor is analytical, and so is Matt. So you can see where this is. I don't want to say he's mentoring him, but literally Ah, I mean you could say he's mentoring him. Yeah. No, I have no problem with you saying that. Uh,
0: I, I think it's I think it's funny. I have seen these guys play test together. They play test together well, they do it often, and um it's usually Matt has a kinda out there idea and Raptor just kinda shakes his head or said that says that's terrible or um I have I have watched them work on a few things. It's it's very entertaining. And, and with Matt, I mean, you, you know he's going to constantly try to sneak those green cards in there. And uh, I know he ran the table on a, a smallish size turner we had at the store right before the 5K where he was then going to run the uh, the deck in question. So I'm, I'm glad to see that he got a little bit of, um, I guess, a pat on the back from Raptor saying, you know, like, this is playable. You could, you could take this one. You could take the training wheels off of this one. You can go ahead and ride it
1: outside, and we'll see what happens. And he does sneak in. The elf that provides infect and destroy target artifact on a sideboard. So he does have an elf in there. Along with along with the uh Man, brain's like's missing right now. Um, Any number of sweet sideboard targets to get
0: with your Fauna Shaman. Yes. yes. Yeah your Fauna Shaman, Corrupter, yes. A Verdian Corruptor holding holding the uh, the shop down. I think I joked with Matt that I was like, How many times can you like attack with that card? as part of, like, a lethal combat damage attack, and then your opponent will screw up their cards. How many, how many times do you, the, you really have to be like, oh, crap, he has in fact. I have to do things a little bit differently. Well, he's so, funny. He
1: called it the 2-2 two, two wall <laughs> in our interview. He said it's a wall. He says, it's, he says you bring this out against... He says not only is it great against the Call blade deck, he says it's great against Boros. Because it no, basically I mean, it, obviously
0: turns off uh, a step links in one variety or another. Uh, not not so hot against to GOP,
1: but I, I can definitely see it getting the job done. Yeah. He uh, then Alexander this week talks about uh, a great article on reads and why you should shuffle cards into your hand. He has some of the most classic videos up there on game situations. Where you're giving, where a person's giving a tell, uh, literally on one of the videos, they, they're commenting on it and the guy shuffles his deck in, pulls up his cards and the way he organized them, he knew the guy had three lands in his hand. (laughs) It's all the different signs that people give when they play to show how you can catch a read, which might be a difference between you winning and losing a match.
0: Uh, and that sounds like the Alexander that I know to be very, uh, meticulous. Uh, you know, you know it just, it brings up many a joke or a comparison between magic and poker and, you know, the tells of people and how to read them and you can laugh off a lot of this stuff. You can think it's not there. But, uh, you know, I, I've definitely, I've learned some tricks of the trade and pray, been prey and victim to some of those visual cues or tells and, um, Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, to me it seems like one of those kind of steps of the game or your own game that comes a little bit later in play. I think that there's so many players that can tighten up on so many other parts of their mechanics and their gameplay that, you know, trying to see if your top opponent uh, drew a land on the turn they draw and then quickly play one or how they arrange their cards to see... um, what their spells are, or when they hesitate when you do things, and when they don't like everything's okay. Not necessarily for counter magic, but for answers, responses, pump spells, um, instance, anything like that. I mean, yes, it's important and it, it can be a good skill, but I think that there are the, the vast majority of players, it's like if you get sidetracked trying to learn that stuff. Well, you know, did you play the right lane at the right time? Did you, you know, not? Attack, make a bad attack or trade away bad guys unnecessary or just not realize your Jace was going to die because you did a thing a certain way just because you were staring at your opponent trying to find stuff out.
1: Um, But I I think it's there. I think it's there, and I think when you're ready for it, go with it. And then the last article we have this week is Paolo with the advantages of drafting Infect. And he explains the strengths and weaknesses of it and what – cards go well with it as far as when you're trying to draft a certain Infect deck, and how it is not something to run away from when you are doing a draft. And this kind of surprised me, because I would think that that would not be Paolo's playstyle to draft Infect, but as the more you learn about people, the more you learn that they're willing to take advantage of whatever environment's out there in front of them.
0: Now, um, why, why what would make you think that he wouldn't want to draft Infect? That's
1: what's confusing to me. I don't. Just it just seems the way he's his standard decks have been in the past that infect would not be a style that he would like to play. I mean, I know the blue black is very popular with the fact that that's what if you're building an infect deck, that's sort of what the deck has to be revolved around. But I, I, you know, I don't picture him not playing Grave Titan. And instead substituting for uh Skidless the Blight Dragon. You know what I'm saying? I don't see that coming together with the way his play style is. At least that's my own personal opinion. No,
0: I I, very valid. I think for me that the um, the lesson to take away from this is uh Paulo, one of the one of the the best players and someone that I respect um the decisions and, and the why of why, is that with the spoilers of the siege coming out, it felt like, in fact, was going to be very powerful. It felt like all the commons and uncommons were going to be above the standard set from the original set. And then directly after, we uh, we found that it really it wasn't so much the case. We found that a lot of the cards were slower. Uh, they were you know, they were bigger guys, yes, but they didn't have the Plague Stinger, Cisbear-esque cube. Instead, you got a mite and, a, you know, hopefully a wolf, which is a, a fairly suitable uh, replacement for a Cisbear, but still, you don't have the evasion, you don't have the larger toughness. The, the it slowed down. And so it was interesting to me to watch in the infancy of the draft format, things go from, in fact, going to be so spectacular, it's going to be so much better, you've got all these septic rats and the spread of the sickness and... Uh, you know, like these these splashy rares that have infect, like Vat Mother and Frexian Hydra, I and mean, it's just gonna like things are gonna be huge, they're gonna be out of control. To kind of like, well, you know, Light Widow costs four. I mean, there's a three, three, four, five that has infect without evasion, and you know, the, these cards are still quality cards. They're just not, you know, kind of aggressively costed like a lot of the infect creatures um, in Scars were. So I I think that Paulo has the right idea. I've definitely drafted infect post-besiege, but it's a very different animal, and, and
1: learning how that works uh, is a pretty big deal. Well, and like I said, I don't, like I said, I don't expect, uh, now, is, do you know if Paul's coming to Grand Prix Dallas? I would assume so. It is, considering how far
0: he has to travel for most things, this doesn't, this doesn't seem like it's very far away for him.
1: Okay. I don't envision Paulo at Grand Prix Dallas, uh, if we get to do an interview with him, Sitting there saying, "Here's my blue green or blue black infect deck, and this is why I'm playing it." <laughs> you know, I don't <laughs> picture him saying that, nor do I picture him saying that in, in voice either. So, <laughs> but yeah, but you know what I'm saying. I don't I don't picture him doing that. So that's why when you hear him talk about it in draft, I and mean, you know, you got to play to the strengths of the draft, like I said earlier. And, well, uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I. I, I I'm rarely surprised by what Paulo uh, does concerning the game. I'm usually just just winning the thing like, oh, man, I had no chance of thinking about that. He's way ahead of me.
1: Oh, there is one more thing we should promote about Paulo. Paulo has now a Twitter account, uh, PVDR, or PVDDR on Twitter. (laughs) So if you would like to follow Paulo and his comments and stuff like that, and fortunately, when he got on Twitter, he got uh, tied into doing a cube online, which he really enjoyed. So, yes, he is putting out thoughts, and his follower count is skyrocketing quickly. So jump on board and get the thoughts of Apollo more more concurrently than you do when you're getting it through the articles.
0: That sounds good. That sounds good.
1: I'm sure as we
0: speak, he has already amassed five times as many followers as I have. So... Good for Apollo, and uh, I, I will maybe one day be one of them. Who knows? You don't follow anybody. It's true. It's true. But I'd like to think that if I was going to follow somebody, I, mean, like, but I don't hear from him that often. Like, you know, Luis bugs all the time, and Owen Owen talks. But, uh, you know, I, I don't hear that much from PV. And I, Realistically, I'd like to actually hear him, but I think uh, tweets would gotta be the next worst thing, as long as you do it in the follow voice. In the follow voice,
1: yes. <laughs> Which, when, when we get to Dallas and we get him on there we will definitely have it on there for you. But now, let's go to the product review. Well, before we go to product reviews, I
0: do want to apologize to our listeners for not having the end of the week's content for this week. Uh well, there was a bit of a mix-up, so we don't again, we record this before um Friday's content hits the hits the uh the website. Usually Robert has to read a very rough draft, terrible grammar, all out of place, usually chicken scratch on some lined paper writing of the content that goes up for Fridays. Uh but this time we don't have it, so our, our list is a little bit shorter. Um, uh, we did. It, we are increasing our video content, though. I will say that. I know Luis's draft went up this week. Connolly had a part one of a deck doctor that went up this week. Tom Martel had um, a release event, faction-based seal deck that went up. Matt Nass had a standard event that went up. Um, did I mention I had a draft? I, I had a draft go up. Um, and there's probably going to be more as we're speaking. But we're coming back full force on the video content. Uh, we had kind of fell behind our own curve with the pro tour and everyone kind of being out of town. I know Connolly has put out a few deck doctors pretty early in the game. We kind of tried to promise them every week and it didn't quite happen, but fear not. We're coming, we're bringing it back and I'm super excited because now pretty much for anything constructed in type two, you're going to have an avenue to see one of our guys playing. You've already got Connolly with the deck doctor, kind of the, the, on the outside, the rogue element. Uh, but now you've got Luis starting a standard series where he's going to take the Tier 1, Tier 2 decks, he's going to mash them up against each other, and then he's going to make some tweaks to them that are going to you know, hopefully improve them moving forward. So any kind of casual-to-casual-competitive-to-competitive competitive deck that's currently in standard will hopefully be covered in these videos between these guys. So you'll get the fringe stuff on the outside for those people that want to go rogue, for those people that want to play the cool stuff. We've got Connolly's Deck Doctor's. And then you'll have the people with just like, you know, I just played in Staples, all the spikes out there. Luis is going to go ahead and cover in depth, in detail, in series, all of this stuff. Uh, I am excited about it because I, I think it's going to be great to watch.
1: Well, see, now the question is, are are you going to be the person that's playing against him in those decks?
0: Uh, they would not let me do that. No, 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 no. Now, while Luis is off playing Magic, I'm usually working, which uh, is not, not the greatest. There's only, only every once in a while is he like, hey, why don't you sit on me with this draft? People think you're funny. I'm like, oh, thanks, Luis. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, it's not, he's got plenty of people that spend a lot more time on Magic Gathering online that he can have test against him. And that's another great thing is that, um, Luis will be able to play a certain matchup against Owen, a certain matchup against Tom, a certain matchup against PV, a certain matchup against Martin. Um, he'll have all of these people. Uh, again, top-notch players. Maybe some more proficient with that one certain decks and others. Ma- you know, doing these kind of like mashup uh, matches against him. So mm-hmm. it's gonna be it's gonna be like I said, very exciting. I'm, and uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll have some coverage of that in the future.
1: Well, that's good because, like I said, it's it's hard to catch up on all the videos you guys have been putting up there lately. I mean, t- it seems like you are almost going article video, article video, article video right now.
0: It's it's a lot like that. It's kind of like two or three articles, video, a podcast. You know, three articles, two videos, a podcast, um, a podcast, video, an article at the very least. It's
1: pretty much every single day on the website right now. That's good because you give more people more content. That's exactly what they're looking for. But let's speaking of more content, we have so a product, product
0: review. Oh, uh, we do. Have, we have a product review. Uh, we finally got the new deck builders toolkits um, in today. It was very funny. Uh, we, someone in the warehouse, like, rapidly cracked a few, thinking that their contents would be different, slash looking for Worldwake packs, because prior iterations of uh, the Deckbuilder's toolkits had Worldwake packs in them, and obviously they're they're like gold now, if you can find them. But uh, they've been updated once again, now you get uh, a Mirrodin Besieged pack, a Scars of Mirrodin, an M11, and a Rise of the Eldrazi, so it's pretty much the last Three printings and the core set in these things, which is pretty cool. Um, also, the again the the moreover, like they they updated the packs inside them in the past. But moreover, you get the new kind of updated cards, the semi sorted, you know, whatever they want to call it. And there's also some gems in there. We we open some signal pests, uh, go for the throats. There's there's quality quality cards in there. I mean, again, for anyone who's listened in the past, like. I'm a big fan of these products. In the past, I'm a big fan of these products. Now, I think they're so much fun to play with. I think they're great for new players. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it all over again, but we did crack a few open. So they now you know what kind of packs are inside. You kind of yeah. an idea. There's still some some money uncommons, which is a weird thing to say, but you're gonna get you're gonna get some some value back already on those cards inside. And again, you got the sweet deck box. Which if you listen to my night magic, then you know you've heard you've heard our our feeling on that.
1: What is the uh, current price of a deck builder's toolkit?
0: I believe they're still nineteen ninety nine. I, I I believe they've they've always been that price. I mean at least from us. I I can uh, I can do this the old fashioned way and go to oldchannelfireball.com and just search for deck builders toolkit.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm currently staring at your top eight deck list from your five uh, K this weekend that I'm staring at right now. So
0: Yeah, still nineteen ninety nine on the deck builders toolkits. That's yeah. what I thought they would be. It's still a great, like I said, great buy. Great buy.
1: Okay. Um, let Before we go into the five buys and sells of the week, you did have a 5K last weekend. We did have a 5K last weekend. You did have a 5K last weekend. And I was looking at your deck list that you have here. Um, okay. And it was interesting because you had basically the gamut of what's being played right now between Cawblade and Rugged and Green White Quest, and Valakut, uh, and Rug, you know, and more obviously a Cobblade matchup in the finals. Uh, But it was interesting to actually see that your tournament turned out to be the exact way things are going right now in Magic. That is weird.
0: Usually the Northern California metagame is not as diverse as what you see here. Uh, it feels like there are actually far more pockets of players kind of with their own feelings about it, with their own playstyles, that may pay more or less attention to what the trends of the quote unquote pros do. Um, usually in the area, there are a lot more control players, there's a lot more Luis Scott Vargas deck list copiers. Um, but I, I'm always glad to see uh, a diverse showing of decks in any format, let alone uh, one so close to home. So
1: that worked out pretty well. The one thing I would like to comment about is the green-white quest deck and you can find the entire top 8 list on channelfireball.com He runs one Miriton Crusader for protection from black and green, which is interesting considering what you know, what the swords do and how this thing this thing is an answer against green and you know, especially black, which was interesting because you just see those those kind of decks out there, and to have one of those in there, I haven't seen that yet so far.
0: You, you are talking. You're talking about the green white quest deck. Right? Yeah,
1: so I'm talking about the green white
0: quest deck. Well, I mean, if you have a Mirren Crusader and you put a piece of equipment off of it off your quest, he does have double strike, which seems pretty good.
1: It it is it is it's it's, it's a unique format. I have not seen that played in there, and then. It's the he also has in the sideboard the hero of the blade hole.
0: Yeah, a little more little more reach uh out of the sideboard. I, I like that as well. I mean uh, the quest decks kind of get put into one corner where it's like all they do is play some cheap guys, they have no reach, they have no mid to late game, and uh, I, I think that uh you know, we weren't we weren't even really sure that they were gonna exist in a in a post cobblade standard where Everyone's expecting equipment, everyone's expecting artifacts. Um, Luce is actually just joking that at the Pro Tour, I think it was Eric Froelich managed to beat a Turn 2 Argentum Armor because he managed to have a Divine Offering. Like, things didn't go spectacularly for him, but he, like, you know, what, what, what used to be, like, the unstoppable draw for that deck is now mortal. Um, so again, I'm glad to see that if this deck is going to stay current and stay played, it's going to have to adapt. It's going to have to uh, have reach. So playing cards like Hero uh, goes a long way with that.
1: What did you gather from the weekend as far as uh, what you saw from the decks and the people playing it? As far as the meta game uh, goes.
0: As far as the meta. Oh, as far as the meta goes. uh I wasn't paying much attention. <laughs> I was there, but I was doing other things. Um, I bought some beat-up revised cards from some people, some foil briberies. So you were still working. Uh, it was a combination. I, I played early on, but I was quickly knocked out. Um, you know, I again, I, I'm not one to make excuses. I am not the best Magic player, but my friends had done some a little bit of testing and some deck building. We were able to put together two copies of the Luis-style red-white-blue deck. We also had a copy of the Valkyrie deck for someone else we knew because none of those cards overlapped. Um, and I kind of got left with the Tezzeret deck that we had been just kind of testing against that didn't really have any time or energy put into it, nor had I played any games with it because I was not involved in the testing because I didn't have time. So uh, thankfully, and, and Raptor took as much time as he could to joke on it, they called me for the round one feature match, and he said, well, it's the only round you're going to be able to have a feature match, ha, huh? ha, And sure <laughs> enough, I, I bombed and uh, proved him right correctly. But um, I like to think a lot of it was was lack of, of having played the deck uh, at all. Um, so I, I spent the vast majority of the day either behind the counter or uh, trying to talk people into cube drafting or... Finding lunch for myself and Louise.
1: That's funny, and it's somehow, it's somehow, I picture Raptor doing that to you, and, uh, and,
0: uh, I, and he, being it
1: all humorous. He wasn't being like you know cruel about it. He was just that. Just seems to be the kind of humor point he would come at. Uh, it was just it was he made
0: it he made it look and end up so poetic that it was just kind of like one of those things where like all right that's that's great that's great. So yeah, I, I don't uh, I got I got news for you. I didn't look at our I didn't look at our own meta very much at all. Um, Luis and I, actually, the, the Magic TV for this week will talk a lot about it and um, how it's evolving and what cards to look for on the way up um, that hopefully is going to be hitting the website pretty soon, too. Like, if you're listening to this podcast, I'd like to think that you can also jump over to MTV and watch our conversation there.
1: That would be pretty sweet. The one thing that I'm liking about what you guys are doing with uh, Magic TV is that you're taking it to 20 minutes.
0: Well, it, it's interesting. Um, Again, for for the vast majority of there that don't follow every avenue of media that I'm on, then you won't have heard this. And then for the five people that have, I, I apologize. I'll try to keep it short. But um, for a while, we've been talking about trying to move Magic TV to a 24 to 27-minute format. Um, again, our best, 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 very few shows have uh, eclipsed 40,000 views. Uh, if we get 30,000 a week, we're pretty happy um the ultimate goal would be able to produce content of twenty four to seven twenty twenty four to twenty seven minute length that can reach a hundred thousand views a week. If we can do that, we can kinda of start to shop the idea around to some kind of network and get get something magic related onto a, a, a larger platform than just our own website and YouTube. I mean that's it seems like kind of a pipe dream. I, I think it's something that's not completely unrealistic. I'd like to think that you know, not one person is going to carry it. We're going to get there as a team and make it happen. And we know that we need to kind of step up our game on a lot of things, um, actually look for us to be doing more segments that are going to be recurring every week. We're going to try to uh, re-engage the viewer and get more response from them. Um, that's really that's really a long-term goal. We want to extend it. We want it to have it be something that you're going to tune into every week that is engaging in whichever way possible. And if we make it enough, like, you know, something like Attack of the Show, or, like, look at, like, a lot of like the, the, the content on G4 as far as it comes to gaming, and that's really, like, the closest thing we can relate it to. And, and once we get uh, enough into that realm, obviously some kind of female attractive co-host will go a long way. Um, and we're, we're pretty sure we can replace the plant with that at some point. We're just not sure how we're going to do that. Um, but but um, a lot of those kind of things, where you're going to get a lot of recurring information that you're going to be interested in, um, and keep it fresh
1: and uh, and uh, you know,
0: but still more of the same, more of what you already enjoy and tune in
1: for. That's good because the th- the thing about it is is you were you took the words right out of your mouth about being the beautiful co-host on and like, but it, <laughs> it, it put the fans of Humphrey are going to be disappointed. So I don't know. I mean,
0: as, as much as I enjoy shopping around show ideas like two fat white guys and a dead plant, like it's just it's so much easier when you've got a female presence on there. Granted. You know that casting call is gonna be. It's gonna probably take me a few years to go through all of the candidates and start start submitting them now, preferably with headshots. Um, And I'm sure, I'm sure by 2013
1: we can get something put together for a (laughs) co-host. Well, let's let's transition to your five buys and sells of the week.
0: Meanwhile, what I'm really not even that good at. uh, Let's talk about cards going up and down. Let's start with a couple obvious ones going up. Uh, The most obvious kind of being time spiral across the board. And we're not talking about sealed sets or boxes. We're talking about the actual card from Saga. Um, I think I actually touched about it on Monday Night Magic, just kind of like out of the blue. Obviously, we're talking about uh, tournament results. The most recent Star City um, open, I guess you'd call it, during the Legacy portion, there was finally a sweet mono blue high tide generate a ton of stuff and do something crazy blue sun zenith you deck. And sure enough, one of the cornerstones of that deck is a Time Spiral, or rather four of them, which is pretty key. Um, again, I've talked in the past about these legacy cards; their you know the scarcity is there. You watch Wasteland kind of—I mean, Wasteland could be on my list this week too, although it it wasn't. Um, it's really, really popular. Those printings aren't as big as the current ones we have. There's a lot of room for growth on that stuff. Time Spiral was a lot like Grim Monolith; it got unrestricted or unbanned. Sorry, unbanned, went nowhere at first. So I was like, the, the price skyrocketed because it got unbanned. Everyone's like, oh my god, we can play this card now. I have to get them all make a deck. Nothing happens. Grim Monolith has kind of settled, although there's still room for growth, like I've said in, in past shows. Time Spiral finally hits in a tournament. Sure enough, like, you know, the next day it's gone up in value 33 40%, something like that. Where's the ceiling on it? It's a lot higher. Um, for those that you that haven't heard about the boom yet, get them now. Even if you don't want to play it, there's going to be great turnover value in that card. Uh, it's an easy up.
1: Well, and the other one that you have in the standard leg- the Standard of Legacy, Force of Will.
0: Force of Will. Now, I don't want to blow the top off of this situation, but there is great debate right now among the people I know about where the ceiling on that card is, what role it will play in formats in years to come, and if and when and how much it will be affected by a reprinting. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of buzz for what seems like over a year now to, about it being a Judge Foil or some kind of From the Vault series that includes it. It's ominously not on the reserved list. So there's a, it's a big deal. In the interim, the card keeps going up and up. And it doesn't go up, like, a couple of dollars every once in a while. It always seemed to take, like... $10 jumps in value. And I can remember a couple of years ago, picking up for 35 40 was not a problem. Um, I mean, that was even kind of a little bit on the high end. I mean, you could kind of trade value, quote-unquote, for that amount. Uh, right now, they're sitting at the $60, $70 range. So where is, where is the upper limit on this card? Because I think people are, every month, they're more and more comfortable with that larger price number, and they're not going away. Forcible is never going to get worse. I mean, what kind of card, what kind of narrow card would wizards have to print in order to really make it bad? I mean, it just, I, I mean, they could, I'm not saying they can't, but it, it seems like something that would have to be so narrow, it would have to have a giant tag on the front of it. And again, Will isn't one of those cards that you need to design an answer for, it's really the great equalizer. It's the card that keeps all the other answers in check. It keeps all the other cards that want to be enablers in check. Um, and thusly, the price continues to
1: be on the rise. The next one on your list is kind of interesting because you we've gone through this debate before about the the price of Titans. Uh, you have Infernal Titan going up, and I thought that was the one that was going recently down.
0: Uh, if it if it was, and i I've, I've already I do so many shows that I may have said it gone down somewhere. I don't remember saying it was going to go down uh, on this show. And, no. uh, it's gonna go up, uh, it's going up and it's gonna go up and it's really easy to see why. You have all these X1s in standard right now. You have all of this situational counter magic. I'm mostly looking at you, uh, Spell peers. And this guy is an amazing answer. Uh, again, it was one of the cards that Luis and I will talk about this week on our show. Um, but even before that conversation, it was very obvious this card was gonna be on my list this week. It was, so at the bottom of the Titan value that it had a lot of room to grow. It's so good in the standard environment right now. The of decks can play up to four of them, which is a huge deal. Um, it really, it goes a long way. And uh, I think you're going to be seeing a lot more Inferno, Titan, and Standard in the immediate future. I, I mean, like, how sick is a Basilisk collar with this card? It's just so absurd.
1: That is an interesting combination. The card that I'm not surprised that's going up that, I don't know. Honestly, this is a card that seems like it's a four of in every blue-white deck. Uh, Gideon Jura. Uh,
0: yeah, I, mean, I don't know if it's a four of, but it's definitely found its way back into stride. Um, you know, I, I've, again, it's, it's so hard to remember. I, just, I feel like a broken record, and hopefully you guys actually don't listen to anything else that I do, and only listen to this podcast. Because Gideon Jura had been on the downswing for what seemed seemed like forever. In terms of magic cards and standard, three or four months is an eternity. Um, The blue-black worlds decks, decks before that, um, were very Jace-centric, not very um, Gideon-centric. I mean, granted, the, the old Kago decks would still play that card, but it really shines now with the Sword of Feast and Famine ability to effectively have a free spell every turn. Gideon Jura goes over the top. It is huge. Uh, And when it bottomed out at $18, $17, it has jumped right back up to what a mythic Planeswalker, kind of what people feel those cards should be worth. $35 is a a very reasonable kind of middle ground value for this card. Um, I think its upper ceiling is a lot higher, but it would have to see continuous action between now and when it leaves standard in order for it to go to the $60 range, which I think is, is really kind of the upper limit for it. Um, any If you can pick up this card for under $30 anywhere, uh, definitely in a trade. It's definitely worth doing right now. And, you know, two, three weeks ago, we wouldn't have had the same feeling, despite the fact that, you know, the decks from Paris were out there. They only kind of changed a little bit. I think a lot of people are realizing, hey, this Stoneforge Mystic, you know, Jace Gideon kind of, like, all-around package is getting it done and getting it done in in, in a lot of different uh, versions builds of the same kind of shell. So that guy is is back on the way up,
1: and then the last one, uh, which, not surprising, based on the way uh, it runs, is Inquis- Inquisition of Kozlak.
0: Inquisition is Inquisition. Uh, is is a little bit of a, of a mystery to me. Um, I think all of us in the warehouse in the last few weeks have been kind of surprised by the fact this card is still moving. Uh, you know, two dollars for an uncommon people are I wouldn't say happy about but they're kind of used to that being you know a a, quali- a good quality power in common that's its value when you get to three dollars it's pretty impressive it's kind of like that well you know is this a path to exile kind of card um, Inquisition is past that we're, we're currently selling them on the website for 349 uh, it's you know, Luis would agree with me on this it's, it's probably like the single best bless best yeah, single best black card in standard right now. Uh, and obviously that's something that you could debate, but if you just if you stop and you think about it, it'll it'll make sense. And uh you know, it, it's it's a four of in a lot of all the outskirt decks because not a lot of them are playing black right now, but it just answers so many things. It answers Stoneforge and it answers Squadron Hawk and it answers Mana and it answers cunning Spark Mage, and answers every card in a Boros deck that doesn't rhyme with Koth or Hero of uh, Blood Rage. I mean, there's there's so many things that it just stops. There's so many plans that it disrupts. Uh, it is the card, and I, you know, you should all have a four of by now, but, uh, you know, don't don't be afraid to trade for more of them, because there's a lot of value in that card.
1: Well, as so we've had five up, now we have five down, uh, including a card that Four months ago, you would say was or five months ago, up to uh, was on the way up, and that's Vengevine. Vengevine, uh, you know, obviously it
0: came out and it thought it was going to be huge. It played in, in standard, in old standard, and was good. Um, you know, back when uh, Survival of the Fittest was legal, obviously it's had its place in, in older formats. Uh, green is kind of getting the short end of the stick right now, and the stick being sort of feast and famine. There's all this, you know, seemingly coincidental protection from green, which is not like you know, anyone's going out there and doing it on purpose and being like, oh, these green aggressive decks. We need to be able to stop them. It's more kind of splash damage, uh, and Vengevine is one of the cards that's suffering from that. It's still powerful. It's still not hard to get online with Fauna Shaman and decks that can afford to play aggressive green creatures. I mean, there's still. Wrath effects out there, although not as many, and spot removals not as good against it. Uh, it just isn't, you know. It's a, it's a, it's a lot like front the Last Troll. It's a lot like most of the green cards right now. It's just not seeing action. It doesn't have its impact on eternal formats, uh, and thusly, it's it's taken a nosedive. I mean, right now, I think we're selling at twenty nine ninety nine on the website, which I think is the lowest they've ever been at.
1: Hmm.
0: Cholestria Highborn. Vampires is struggling to stay a deck as well, kind of for a lot of the similar reasons that I just mentioned. Sword of Feast and Famine also has protection from black. Um, The the Vampires decks are as aggressive as they can get. I mean, they're they're probably becoming more narrow and um, single-minded in what their game plan is. Uh, Now, it used to be... Dark tutelage, burn spells, you the game would go longer, you became able to grind out wins with Highborn and blood gas and Viscerous Seer. And now with your opponents having more access or really more abilities to kind of apply pressure early in the mid range control decks, there hasn't been much um adapting from the vampire decks and more than so they've just kind of been taking it to the teeth. And thusly of Highborn, which was formerly on a kind of a plateau of like the eight fifty nine dollar range has already come back down to five dollars uh, and can easily fall back to the, the three dollar range that it was before vampires became popular, even if vampires was still a deck. I mean, a lot of the cards in a lot of the cards in vampires are coming back down to what their prices were pre you know competitive vampire popularity. And vampires are, are popular as a tribe, they're popular as a deck, they can do powerful things. It's just in the competitive standard right now, there's they have to adapt and you
1: haven't seen it that much. Before we go to the two that are in the extended season, let's go to Molten Tail Mastercard. This is a card that has just been in freefall.
0: I'm actually surprised I haven't mentioned it on this podcast before, because it seems like it has done nothing since the day it's been spoiled, but go down in value. Um, You know, I think I've played one tournament where I had one copy of it in my main deck and one copy of it in my sideboard, and I think I've tested with some Fauna Shaman decks that maybe wanted access to one copy of it, but not even necessarily, and probably got cut eventually. Um, It's one of those seemingly raw power cards that should have power, and it just hasn't been showing up, hasn't been doing anything. We've got all these huge six-mana Titan-esque spells were turboing out before turn six. We've got cards like Jason the Mind Sculptor sending this guy home so he doesn't have a kind of a comes-into-play ability. There's all this... I mean, all these cheap creatures that just need equipment to them. Uh, Massacre just really doesn't have a home anywhere in standard. He hasn't broken into an eternal format. I mean, if there's some kind of, like, infinite mana loop, I mean, in standard, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I'm currently not doing it, and all he does is fall into free fall. What is,
1: well, I mean, what could the bottom be on this card?
0: Eh, like five bucks, four bucks. Okay.
1: okay. I was just curious. I
0: no, no, I I think it's a good question to ask, and I I think definitely if people are still trading for them or thinking about it, at what point to know that it's the bottom of the barrel. Um, you know, mythic mythic rares in the current incarnation would have a hard try, hard time plummeting below the two dollar range. If you look, Zendikar is a really great example of kind of like bad mythics that just refuse to go away in value. Um, the scar, uh, shards of Alara was a little bit of a different story. It was. It was a bit more of a, a testing ground for mythic rares and how they would fall in their rarity versus playability versus quality overall. But I think uh, R forward is a, is a good kind of benchmark for what those cards are valued at and what they will be long-term.
1: And then we have the ones that are part of Extended. Uh, Knight of the Reliquary? Uh, about to see. So here's here's the deal with Extended season. We've only got about a
0: month left in PTQs. A lot of people are in cell mode. Uh, a lot of them only have maybe one more PTQ in their area that they're going to get to, maybe zero, maybe upwards of two more events completely. Um, what we found with Extended, seemingly from the player base that I had in contact with, which is decently sized reaching, is that it's now just the new format that Wizards forces you to play. It's the new format that you play it because there's a PTQ season, but not like for kicks and not for fun when you're sitting around and... Uh, a lot of these cards' values will be directly dependent on how necessary it will be to play with them right away. And, uh, you know, Knight, Knight is an easy target because it also is coming out in a dual deck in a few weeks. So it's, you know, one that was on the downswing from the format that used to be so popular in Standard and was still very popular when the new Extender was announced and there were competitive tournaments for it. But it's it's really got nothing going for it in the next month to come.
1: One of my favorite cards, um, Maelstr- Maelstrom Pulse.
0: Another, it's kind it's of the, one of those easy targets on its forehead where it's like, well, now it's a Grand Prix foil, so we're going to have all those out there. Well, the extended season's rotating, well, we don't really need that anymore. No one really wants to play Jund. If they're going to play something extended, they might probably would want to play something else anyway. Uh, so this card is is kind of suffering the very same fate as Night of the Relicary. Um,
1: the other card... I want to bring up that's not on your list and um, put you on the spot for it. Uh, it was, it had a very, quote, popular run when Extended was first coming out, and that's Demigod or Revenge.
0: Um, similar boat. I think that Demigod is mildly more resilient than a card like Maelstrom Bulls because you're going to see Demigod in more decks. Uh, obviously anything that's gonna run a Fauna Shaman package has access to this card as well as the Gen decks. And maybe some kind of big red decks should they ever come back in any kind of incarnation. Again, Shadow gets one more season, one more year. Uh, you're gonna see it still competitively played in San Diego at the end of the year for another Grand Prix. So, it's not, it's not dead and gone yet, although much like everything else that's currently in extended, it, it's, it's dropping off in value a little bit. Okay. Uh, Now, what to play at FNM? Now, I don't know if you saw this deck list, but there is uh, what they referred to as an honorable mention deck list, which is for me is kind of just a big jumping-off point. From one of the recent Star City Games events, it is a Furnace Celebration deck for Standard. And the the crowd goes silent.
1: Well, no, no, I apologize. I mean, I know Conley had talked about it.
0: You've heard Connolly talk about it. Yeah. Uh, what what has Connolly said?
1: Well, no, he was experimenting with it at first when it first came out, putting it like like
0: together.
1: The deck list. He had a kind of one of his articles. I don't remember where it, which site it was on, and I apologize. He had, he had one of his typical. This is a deck idea list. hmm And he had it up there, and it was like, oh, it seems interesting, but this, it actually played in standard again.
0: Yeah, the the um the the deck list. The, the one in question, the one that we're referring to is, is red green. Um, it plays for... it actually ironically has four Molten Tail Massacre in it, although I think that was one of the first cards that I cut when I was starting to tweak it. But it runs Birds of Paradise, Cunning Spark Mage. Now you have kind of the sacrifice package in the form of Kozilex Predator, Nest Invader, Awakening Zone, and also, uh, Fetchlands, you know, to the turn of like Verdant Catacombs, Arid Mesa. Although depending on how you, uh, Kind of adjust the deck. You can you can change up those cards um, accordingly. It also had a mortipod in it. Um, I, I think there there's room to work with this strategy. And uh, you know I don't I don't know why it even kind of hadn't dawned on me, but I try to think about it a lot. Like lightning rift used to be in standard. Uh, for those of you that remember on uh, standard with onslaught, where where the kind of astral slide deck was a deck. Now it's a little bit harder to get value out of your cards you want to turn into a shock when they don't replace themselves with a new card, kind of like how cycling did. But you also have access to things that can produce multiple sacrifices. You, could, you have access to cards like your lands of sacrifice that can make the, the furnace celebration trigger and do something. Um, again, like just kind of thinking about the bigger picture for the card and the concept, I imagine something that was kind of red-white, because white has a lot of the great answers. Maybe you want Day of Judgment for that kind of bigger stuff, and maybe you can't just shock once or twice to the furnace celebration. Um, I don't think it's a done deal to make kind of a red-white shell for this card or or deck idea because Planeswalkers are very different than one Standard was around with uh, Lightning Rift. It's something you really have to be aware of. I mean, the old Lightning Rift decks where it's keep, you kind of get to an awkward stalemate where it's just like, well, you know, I'll shock you, I'll shock you, I'll shock you, I'll shock you. Like, you kind of have inevitability because that's what your deck does. Um, nowadays, with all these Planeswalkers, it's like, well, I'll shock you. It's like, all right, well, I'll jace the top card of your library. Ha, ha, ha. Who's going to win this race? Uh, it's not exactly a level playing field when your win condition is just a series of shock effects. Um, do I do I think that there's potential in it? Do I think that it would be a lot of fun to play at Friday Night Magic, even if you just kind of take this shell of a list and make some personal choices? I think it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, it's easily my my pick of the week for what to play at Friday Night Magic. Okay, and then we have a coupon this week. We do have a coupon. In honor of, uh, and I don't know if you're going to make this, I think, you know, like, I, I'm... Uh, I'll, I'll plug something else, which I don't usually like to do on, on our podcast because we have so much of our own stuff to talk about, but Monday Night Magic is being broadcast live
1: this week, actually on Sunday, and are you going to be part of that? I'm going to call in, I have to go pick up my wife from the airport, so I will make a, a call in appearance.
0: Excuses. That's okay, that's okay, because uh, as the announcement I made on Monday Night Magic, uh, I don't know who threw this number at me. It was Tom or Chris. I hope it was Tom because I trust what he says. They have like an upward limit of like 50 call-ins or something like that. And I said, you know, I want to do this show, and I want to make sure we get at least 50 people to call into the show. So Sunday, it's around noon or afternoon, depends on your time zone. I think it's noon Pacific for me, so extrapolate the math on that depending on where in the world you are. Uh, My Night Magic will be live. We'll be talking about the same crap we usually talk about, uh, and whatever viewer questions, call-in stuff, we can fit in as long as we can continue to talk out of our mouths. Uh, and in honor of that, and, and the big event that that is, our coupon code of the week is live. And uh, with that coupon code, any singles order of $30 or more will get you free shipping on our website. That's
1: uh, standard USPS. Excellent. And on that note, is there anything else you'd like to comment on this week, or uh, tell the people what's up going on? Um, I, I uh, encourage them to tune into Monday Night
0: Magic. Uh, if you don't listen to the live portion, it'll be posted on the website later. I'm I'm hoping it's uh, going to be a blast. I personally am taking part in a rotisserie cube draft of my cube on Saturday, which for most people is tomorrow. Or if you're listening to this on our archives, which was probably about two and a half years ago. Uh, It was a Saturday, for those of you wondering. Um, It should be a lot of fun. Putting those things together is incredibly difficult. Uh, That uh, takes forever. So I I tried to prep the seven people that are doing me with it. You know, bring a pick order that you have in mind. We're going to use a countdown timer. Um, I'm really interested to see how it it pans out. And I'm very interested in doing some kind of side action on on the thing to see how I match up against my friends.
1: Well, that sounds like a fun time.
0: And and again, something I hopefully will cover in the live 250th anniversary episode, Confetti Falling from the Sky as I'm Talking, Monday Night Magic, to be hosted on Sunday. It's a little weird, I understand, but uh, that's how it rolls. Uh, that's pretty much all I've got for this week. The Channel firewall guys are taking a week off for the most part. We had the local 5K recently. Everyone's kind of sitting in front of their computer recording drafts, constructing videos, and all the whatnot. So bear, tune in to the website again in the near future to see Luis's new series, more deck doctor, more drafts from the people you like, you don't like,
1: and everyone in between. Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty much out. What do you got, Rob? Uh, just to so let people know that are going to call into this on on Sunday, that we did a beta test of it, and the audio quality on it is amazing. There's also a chat feature that uh, will be enabled to the two. So if you uh, can't dial in, you'll be able to listen in along with being able to chat into the show at the same time.
0: Well, there you have it. Uh, as our usual clunky sign-out goes, you can reach me at TSG at ChannelFireball.com for all of your Channel Fireball, Magic the Gathering, NHL, AHL, and
1: OHWL inquiries. What about you, Robert? The ABCs and the one two threes. while you're at it, too. <laughs> Sorry. You can reach me at Robert at uh, ChannelFireball.com. And outside of that, uh, till next week, I'm Robert. And I'm Tristan. Thank you again. We'll see you next week.